Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, where I speak to bands about the realities of what they do. I've got Hey Colossus here, well, Joe and Bob. Bob's the uncle of one of my good mates. I've known him for a long, long time. 
But we never really talked about band stuff. So I was really glad I could get him and Joe. Joe wrote a book, Sleeve Notes, all about their life in Colossus, all the years that have gone by, all the good stuff, all the not so good stuff. Being a band for 17 years is beyond the reality of what most people could do or stand. So respect to them. Basically, I wanted to dig more into that. If you haven't picked up that book, you should. Their new record, Dances, Curses, came out last Friday. If you're listening to this, you probably already know how hard it rips. Pick up the double LP, which they released themselves from their Bandcamp page. And yeah, I think that's everything. If you like this podcast, if you like this episode, please tell your mates, tell your family, share it about on WhatsApp or Twitter. It really helps getting the podcast listens and the more listens, the more I can convince other guests to come on and everyone wins. So that's a way that we can work together. East London's signature brew have been brewing music-inspired beers since 2011. They made collaboration beers with Mastodon, Idols, Slaves, Sports Team, and a whole bunch of others. You can check out all their beers at signaturebrew.co.uk. You can get it delivered over lockdown, and you can save 10% by using the voucher code 101podcast at checkout. All right, this is Bob and Joe from Hey Colossus, recorded shortly after they'd released The Mirror, the first single from Dancers Curses, which features Mark Lanigan. So that's where we start. Go well. Cheers. Uncle Bob and Joe. Can I call you Uncle Bob here in a professional environment? I oh, don't have to call me Uncle Bob, really. But Well, got to say, like the first track you've just put out with, with Mark Lanigan, I mean, that's, that's mad. How did that take me back to the start of that, to, to you know, getting involved with him? Yes, he was a fan. Um, he, he, he was a fan. How did he know he was a fan? Apparently, because he, he, am I right, Joe? I'm thinking he mailed you like to introduce himself, telling you his wife was a massive fan and had just been constantly playing our stuff in his house. And uh, yeah, well, the first time I knew about it was when he bought records from us, and his email came through, and because um, uh, I do the mail order. And it was his name. And so that was that. And that's how we knew. And so, yeah, I just emailed and said hello. And then, I don't know, we've been talking since. It's been years and I don't know. He's a lovely chap. Doing the mail order and running the label, Joe. Do you do you have that kind of mindset where you, you want to follow up on things like that? Um, in that case, uh, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. You know, because yeah. it's intriguing. Yeah, and, and you know, and ultimately, although you know he might be a a big star or you know in in music, he's still just a music fan. Like he's buying our records, and you know, so he's ultimately the same. So, so it's it's interesting to see hear his angle, and 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 it's, I always say that if you run your own mail order, then you get to find that sort of stuff out, and if you don't run your own mail order, you never will. Has that kind of, you know, dictated a lot of like the the the, the relationships that that Hey Colossus has had over the years? I mean, though, I mean, I've got your I've got your your sleeve notes book in front of me, Joe, on the windowsill, where you know, learning about how you'd meet people and you know how you'd do your business, you know, the business of fun, releasing records. Yeah, a good example of it is about five albums back for us. We released an album called Cuckoo live life like cuckoo and um it uh we'd recorded it and we didn't know who was going to release it 
and um, a chap called Henry was buying records off us. And I noticed that he ran a record label called MIE, which is kind of a left field label, really, that does bands like Pelt, kind of droney things, experimental out there music. And because I'd seen him buying our records and T-shirts, I just emailed him the album and said, I know it's not what you normally do, but do you want to do it? And he said, yes. And so I like that aspect of it. And those record labels, I mean, it's quite easy to sometimes think that labels like that and like friendships and relationships like that kind of, you know, as the internet and Spotify, you know, propels itself into everyone's faces, that it's, you know, those things become rarer and rarer. Is is that true? Um, The existence of those labels? What? The labels existing? Yeah, you know, all the labels doing those things. You know, people people are buying records again more now than maybe they might have done 15 years ago. Uh, yes, vinyl records, definitely. For, for us, especially. Um, I don't know why. I think people just like owning things. You know, it's not just ancient old duffers that buy our stuff. I'm going to tell Mark Lagan and you called him an ancient old duffer. <laughs> well, you know, like, <laughs> well, I, you know, I buy records. I'm an ancient old duffer. You oh, know. Yeah, yeah, so am I. But, you know, I, you know my kids are 20 and 17 they've never bought a physical piece of music in their life and they both like music but i just think they listen to it on you know youtube and whatever else this is a podcast about you know the jobs everyone's worked kind of between tours and the, the sort of Minutemen, we jam econo you know work by day play by night thing and you know that's that's totally what i got from your book joe so we're probably going to touch on the similar situations about you know the jobs you've done working as a postman and doing all kinds of different stuff. And I was speaking to Bob, you know, just before we started recording about working in the, working in the studio. So you can see that where those things overlap. But I mean, for both of you, is there, you know, is, is there this kind of like dichotomy between working a job and being in Hey Colossus or the, and other bands? Or is it the kind of thing that, you know, they, they are kind of symbiotic. They can work together. Any, any job can work with, Unless you're doing a job that's sort of heart surgeon or something like that, where you, I mean, if you just got a job, you you have to make it work. If you just if you're just working, 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 and then not doing something as an outlet, like playing bands or something creative or artistic, it, it, God, it'd be a terrible existence. So that's why you, the the when you're doing your job and you might hate it, you might it, it might be really boring and dull. But you know, in well, not at the moment, but normally you know. So okay, on the on the weekend, I've got two or three gigs I'm going to go to, or I'm going to go hang out with my mates and make some noise in a studio, or go and rehearse or something like that. That's you're always looking forward to those times. Makes a change from watching Watford lose at Vicarage Road. Oh yeah, I, I've given up on football, but um, yeah, I mean, you have to mention it. But it's like, <laughs> but it totally is. You if you if you, it gives you something to look forward to, even yeah. though your job might be dull, dull and tedious, and but it's. It, if it, if it if it just becomes a means to an end, it's like oh Christ, there's no point existing in my book anyway. And and is that something that like that, that there have been moments that you've struggled with? What being in a band and working? Yeah, and I don't mean like one moment in in, in the facts like oh fucking hell, um this is really early and I don't feel like it, but more like you know a period of time where you're like fucking hell, this is savage. Yeah, when 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 the children when we had because we we've both got sort of children, we've both we've got a lot of us got children now, so it's it's when you've got young children and a job and 
family life you're trying to juggle and then you tell your, your wife oh sorry i'm just off to spain for a week to do a bunch of gigs that's can be quite stressful because you've got a sweet talk people and then you've got to make sure everything's set up when you when you leave and everything's fine and then you're away and you're worried about you just it, there's a lot to juggle but it's it you know it just makes it um all worthwhile when it all comes together i suppose it goes without saying how much organizing goes on behind that even you know even a weekend to france there are so many tidbits there to consider in the organizational part of it yeah we leave that for joe i book the ferry and joe does the rest <laughs> <laughs> is that just something that comes naturally to you joe i mean it, from 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 what, the way the being book told reads. by bob what to do <laughs> telling everyone else what they're doing <laughs> i've got i have a rule and i was just explaining this to someone else yesterday and it's called carlisle away <laughs> it's carlisle it's called it's carlisle away on a carlisle away on a tuesday and what it is is if you get offered a gig and it's in spain Every everyone in a band will reply instantly, like, "Yes, that sounds brilliant. I'm totally in." So you end up doing it. But if you get offered a gig that's perhaps less appetising, and no disrespect to Carlisle, but it's just a, it's a it's kind of a football joke more than anything else. But if you get offered a gig, Carlisle on a Tuesday night, you'll get absolute radio silence from everyone. No one will get back to you, whatever. And so my rule is, if no one replies, the answer's yes. So <laughs> consequently. <laughs> We've never played in Carlisle, no? <laughs> yeah, because everyone now replies. <laughs> I mean, because it's sort of one thing being eighteen and like you know learning that mistake then, but then you know having it when you're when you're older than that, there's a different kettle of fish, isn't it? Oh, we're we're making mistakes all the time. Like really, because yeah. that's because that I, I you know like I'm not being funny here. I love to hear about that because I think that's the kind of shit that people pretend doesn't happen or that's the stuff that people like to hide in a way yeah uh, like well, i mean mentioned in the book about having to re-record the whole of the second album again um because it got deleted or <laughs> um you know we've you know you, you'll say yes to gigs and you'll get halfway there and you'll be thinking why have we said yes to this gig yeah. um and and you know uh, there's lots it, it, we're getting we're getting all right now we we kind of yeah. know how to turn now but go back 15 years we were useless we were spending money that we didn't need to spend uh, and just just didn't have a clue what we were doing but yeah. now we've got like little tricks and stuff we all know to save a few quid and, and make things go a little bit less stressful and swimmingly but yeah we were useless yeah. the Spanish exactly. tour I'm thinking of Joe, that was yeah I was just thinking about that just recently because um the guy that drove us lives in the same village as me now and um so I see him about a bit he's in he's in um he's uh the singer in the rock band Hardskin. Are you joking? Um, if you know him. Ben Corrigan, yeah, yeah. He just lives around the corner here in, like, deepest Somerset. Uh, I see him driving That's around. So in his, yeah, like, his his vi- main vehicle is a Mercedes Sprinter. And I see him driving around the village with his woolly hat on. It's really funny. <laughs> I don't know the guy that well, you know, just from passing, but he seems like a lifer in that sense. Oh, my God, yeah. He's, not, <laughs> he's a really nice chap. Yeah. But don't, really nice don't, 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 don't ever tell him you don't like The Clash, because... Then, then you you won't see eye to eye. I think wasn't it? Didn't you have a bit of a thin Lizzie debate with him? I had a clash debate. I had a thin Lizzie debate, possibly, but the clash one I think was the one that really stuck in his in his craw. And he's <laughs> he's a big clash fan, and, and I'm not. Are you not? I didn't know that. You're more of an ACDC, aren't you? I like loads of stuff, but I, I just I've never got on with the clash. I just something about him I just can't stand. 
They've got one or two but, all right tracks, but I just think they're so overrated. <laughs> and that 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 like that life of the oh, I gotta say as well, Thatcher on Acid was one of Ben's old bands. Yeah, yeah. Probably before I was born. The eighties. I quite like I quite like that name. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but but I, what, um, I can't remember what I was going to say about. I think it was the Spanish tour where we went away, and we came back and we'd lost money on it. it I think it was our first European tour. I mean, we are talking two thousand and five, and we'd lost so much money on it because I think we'd not really known how to do it and spent money left and right. And then when we came back, we had to pull over at a bank machine <laughs> in like New Cross, and all have to get out sort of hundred and fifty quid each or whatever to cover, you know. It was two hundred and fifty quid each. We had to sp- we had to spend, uh, and when we yeah, yeah and it, it was awful. We thought we'd made money, and then it just all just got frittered it away. It just hemorrhaged because it was it's such a I don't know it's such a long drive back through France. You ended up losing money at all the tolls, and these are all yeah, lessons. I was going to say tolls in Europe are yeah, unforgiving. Yeah, exactly. You've broke even in Spain, but by the time you get back to England you've lost it all just because of yeah yeah so how do you how do you keep like morale high has that been something that you've learned to do i know you said you got bob saying you get you're getting better at touring is that keeping morale is that is that a part of that i think i think we um we've built up a bit of a network and so consequently we play for good people in good venues and 90 percent of the time have good accommodation uh, and also, we've we have got to the age where we kind of want beds rather than floors, and so I don't know that it sounds it sounds wrong and maybe even unpunk rock, but being this age and sleeping night after night on the floors, it, it breaks you after a, after not, a very little while. We're, we're not young spring chickens anymore, <laughs> and, and even, even even the thought of pulling into a was it was those really cheap hotels in Europe? Formula One, Form, Formula One hotel at one in the morning, knowing you're going to get a bed is just a joyful moment, rather than some squat, which we have done up until recently. We've stayed in squats and people's floors and in venues and that sort of stuff. And but when you, when you the joy, knowing you can have a shower in the morning is such a lovely thing. Sleep is key. That's the thing, because I think when you first do tours, you think you can sleep in the van. You think you can stay up late and then get cracking the next day, and you think you can sleep in the van, but you can't. And then, so after a couple of days, you're in pieces. Just got the dog climbing on me here. It's an absolute <laughs> carnage. <laughs> <laughs> we play more in Europe than we do in England, I think. We do more tours in Europe. Uh, not because not not necessarily because we hate touring in England. It's just it's it's easier to go and tour in England and make sure you're going to break even and make money to because if, fundamentally you you make the money from the gigs to pay for the recordings to do another record to do another tour to do another record. And it's just a continuous thing. If you right. just constantly forking out of your own pocket from doing gigs in England all the time and getting paid 20 quid and if you're lucky and you've it's cost you 100 quid to get there in diesel it's like you're not going to last as a band i think that's probably why we've lasted so long because because we've gone out to europe so much and and been looked after and been paid so we can continue rather than having to fork out of our own pockets all the time that's how i see it anyway well, it's pretty depressing isn't it sometimes when you know there is this kind of narrative almost that like 
you know, you're lucky to play. Of course, you're not going to get paid that much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In England. We've had gigs in England. We played in Oxford. There's always this gig in Oxford, I remember. And at the end of the night, I said, right, the place was packed. It was sold out. Can we have some money? And he paid us a fiver. I was like, where's all the other money going? It was like, oh, the really? headliners. The headliners got the, the bulk of it. And they'd come like a metre down the road from, from somewhere in leafy Oxford. And we'd come all the way from London. And, and it was like, bloody hell. <laughs> What's the point? So if, you, if you're continually, I think that's probably why a lot of bands who don't go out to Europe probably will just stop or get so miserable or jaded by it. I don't know. I'm, talk, I'm talking bollocks again. One of my favourite moments. No, 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 Bob, I completely agree. I mean, like I said, I've, I've been in the same thing and it, it bums you out. But we love we love playing England. It's not, it's, it's, we absolutely love the gigs in England. It's just um, sometimes it's just, it's, it's is it worth that gruelling trip to, I, I sound like a miserable sod again. I've done, you, you talk, Joe, you talk, oh, I won't talk for a while. <laughs> I'm just listening to you. <laughs> My, one of my favourite bits in your sleeve notes, Joe, was is was when you played a gig just off of, a, a squat off of Oxford Street with Attack Vipers, oh, who yeah. I'm a big fan of, and that that makes me think like that. When you go to a gig like that, you can tell that sort of I don't know camaraderie is probably a bit of a lame word to use, but you know there is that sense. It's just like you know everyone's self motivated to make this thing happen, yeah. and that's a really sort of that's a lovely feeling that I want. I want to keep getting that feeling. That's it. Yeah, yeah, you do get you do get good highs, and it doesn't really matter what country. It can be here. That one in particular, again, that was around two thousand and four or five. Again, and there was a magazine at the time called Rancid News. Um, uh, it was like a fanzine. It wasn't about the band Rancid. It was it was like sort of punky stuff but they would put the occasional gig on in in those sort of venues and we played a couple of them one in Loughborough Junction as well and um yeah the Oxford Street one I think was um a real it was a quite eye-opener on a, in a lot of, for, for me I hadn't really done much of that sort of stuff before and the fact that you could take over a sort of a four-story Victorian house like a hundred yards yeah. from Oxford Circus Tube and just put a gig on in it and the police could come, but it would just carry on. For me, it, it would. And then we've seen it through Europe as well, that sort of thing. We always talk about the venue in Brussels, Magazine 4, and that's sort of how that started. And now it's totally legit, but it's run by volunteers. And, you know, Napalm Death will play there. And, you know, it's, it's a proper big 500-capacity venue that bands are super keen to play because you can sleep in it and it's... It's it's insanely right. positive that when you're driving, you know. So when you're driving from the UK and you know that, you know, we might, you know, we might play London, and if you know your next gig is at Magazine Four, it's almost like you can't wait to get up and get on with it. It's quite like, a buzz in the van at those points. It's when, like, you, when, it's you, really yeah, when you when you when you're pulling up to the gates at Magazine Four and you're like, yes, yeah. I love this place, absolutely love it. You get so looked after. Yeah. The people that run it are just the most excellent people. And it's absolutely fantastic, mm. and, you, and you know it's going to be a cracking night. It's just such a lovely feeling, really is. I think about ten times we've been there now. Yeah, Love it makes it. a yeah it makes the journey beautiful. And we played um, we played a place in um, Geneva last year called Cave Twelve, and um, and that was a I think it was a sun was it a Sunday night? It was a Sunday night we played there, and there can't have been more than about forty people there, but like. That rivals Magazine Four for me. That place. I don't know. Do you remember that place there, Bob? 
This, this we got put up in a really ridiculously lovely hotel. We got put up in a five star hotel with views. Mate. I told you it was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and I got Anne, and then the morning after, the morning after, I came down for breakfast in an EPMD T-shirt, and there was an American couple of American blokes, obviously over on business, and he, one of them, stopped me and said that he went to school with Eric Sermon from EPMD, and we chatted for about ten minutes, and I was shaking with excitement. <laughs> It was, yeah, it was, it was absolutely shameful. It wasn't even one of the band, but I was so excited to be talking to him. Yeah. I think when, you, when, you play, when you're playing a gig like that, and, and even when you're in the crowd for a, a gig like that, even if it might not be Ramo or, you know, your stereotypical wild rock and roll night, but if there's enough people who no. want to be there, it creates the, this the, dynamic. The venue and the people putting it on can make it work, even if there's almost no one there. Um, because like the, in fact, the following night we played on a farm. We drove down past Tur- Torino, um, and we played at Boto's Farm, who's a peach farmer. And yeah, I you know I, I I say it all the time, but that was one of the best ones we've done as well. There's many best ones we've done, but that was one of them. It was just like a peach yeah. farmer in the middle of absolutely nowhere, and he invited about twenty locals to come and watch us. And uh, yeah, and. Yeah, and that seems so, you know that seems so polarizing from coming home and then working a working a job. I mean, e- even if even if you like your job, even when you like your job, I mean, what what it makes me think of, and I guess is the question that I'm ambling onto, is do you, do you feel that you know you have some balance? Do you, do you feel quite solid in in your jobs at the moment and your you know over the last five ten years in being able to have a job, have an income, feed your families, pay rent, pay the mortgage? And then also have this other side, which is a hugely laboursome thing. Personally, I like the contrast. Um, I, yeah, I don't talk about music at work. And if if I did, they would just shrug and wouldn't give a monkeys. <laughs> um, they really wouldn't care. And they do take the piss. So, it, you know, I, I've said before, but if, you know, there's a point where nothing's happening and they're like, why do you do music? It's you're wasting your time. And then one of them was listening to sort of the radio one morning at work and it was Frank Skinner and Frank Skinner played one of our songs. And then he came back in on the Monday and he started taking the piss because <laughs> we were getting, you know, like, and, and, but I like, that. I like that. So consequently, I don't talk about music at all. Like we, we, we can go away and do something quite in our eyes, like impressive and good, but in their eyes, it means absolutely nothing. And there's something to be said for that, for realizing that ultimately, <laughs> you know, things only mean stuff to a few people. I'm kind of lucky. I've, my, I've, I've had the, the, the I've worked for this all the time. I've been in Colossus. I've worked at the same company. I've had various different jobs. I've worked in the same company. I've had various different bosses, and I've been really lucky having these bosses that are always into music. And they're like, if you need to leave early, cause you need to get to a gig piss off you know go leave at three go and get to the gig or if you need this oh, friday off go and do it and it's like this is great it's like, in fact one of my old bosses turned up at one of the gigs we played in hastings a few few well last summer it was he, my old boss turned up with his daughter to see us because he loves us it was, it was like this is this is great these are the sort of you need more of that but yeah i've, I've kind of had it lucky then joe sorry mate <laughs> i quite i like it I, I, you know it's good because it's sort of but I do the sort of job where for the first two or three hours you're in amongst it with everyone and then for four or five hours you're out on delivery 
like on your own, and I, I get to plot and scheme. Like just well, my mind, can, yeah, my mind can just wander. It's good. So I come up. Yeah. Does that give you time to sort of maybe make some calls? I mean, before COVID times, but I mean, advancing a gig, for example, does that give you the time to get on the phone on, on loudspeaker? <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that. Yeah, no, not the phone. Um, no, but, uh, no. It's just, it's just. I just think. And then when I get home, especially at the minute, like doing a label and everything else, I can think of all the things I've got to do. And then when I get home, I can sort of really crack on with it. Whereas if I'm at home, I, I can imagine, I can imagine not focusing. I, I often think that about, um, I don't know, like say the students at the minute that have to be at home, um, remote learning. I, I can't imagine how they do it. Like being surrounded by their own. Too many distractions to stop them from actually doing any, any work. That, or even working from home, I'd find it really tough. Oh yeah, yeah. I love working from home, and and for me, it's it's comes from a love of booking gigs on MySpace that made me well versed in working from home because I could get into that space. And I kind of thought that was the same with every other band that you know booked gigs all the time and tried to yeah. be proactive. Uh, what like that? We all want to be at home. No, but just being able to be at home and like being like, okay, oh, after tea, I'm gonna just get on the laptop for three hours to do band work. Ah, uh, yeah, no, I do do that, but like, I like, I like, I think the what, what was the word you used? Yeah, like, what did you say? The dichotomy, I think, is 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 good for me because otherwise, I would focus too much on band things. I think it would be unhealthy. Bob, working in audio, does that has that got something to do with the fact that? people at your work are quite nice on a Thursday or a Friday night being like, Oh, you know, chip off early. Do you think possibly? Yeah, I reckon so. Cause a lot of people are doing similar things. Um, whether, whether maybe not exactly the same as me, but they might be doing something similar, maybe making their own films or little documentaries or radio shows or podcasts or things like that. So there's a few people that do that sort of stuff or people that have been in bands. A lot of, there's a lot of that going on. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of the audio guys in where I work have all sort of, were or failed musicians or are failed musicians or still trying like me, but it's just, there's a lot of that going on. So it does seem to make it a bit easier. Um, certainly. Yeah. That is nice. I mean, when I was early twenties, the sort of few jobs that I did have that sort of the rigorous structure of them really kind of did not allow any give for the band stuff that I was doing at the time. And I wonder if that gets easier as you get older i think when you're younger you're, you're desperately trying not to get fired and now possibly so when you're older you do know you you maybe know a few little sneaky little ways of getting time off maybe i don't know me i, I, I don't want to say too much in case <laughs> one of my employers hears this because uh, i've tried every trick in a book and they, and they all seem to be working still so mm. yeah and joe with you with the with the delivery i mean that's a pretty that has to be quite rigorous doesn't it uh yeah the thing is is the, the reason i like it or one of the reasons i like it is it does finish at lunchtime so right. although I live in um, Somerset, I can get quite far after work. Like I could get to London or, you know, the furthest I've got is Leeds for a gig. So I can work and get to a gig. And so booking gigs is um, kind of okay. I don't necessarily need to get the time off. The dream is to have the next day off. That's the, that's the dream, but that what, doesn't always happen. What time, what time are you up? On a normal um, day? Either four um, or five, depending. I start at either I start at either five o'clock or six o'clock. And when did when did you start doing that? 
And how and like how how long before it that became normal that you didn't feel crazy? Um, well, I'm, I'm an all right morning person. Like I, I, I sort of, I, you know, I, I get worse as the evening gets on. But um, uh, I, I terrible, terrible evening. Yeah, person. I'm minutes away from being really <laughs> terrible. Um, uh, I've I've done that job twelve years. Yeah. Don't, so you just don't even really think about it anymore. Uh, no. No, it's nice, you know, like, the, you know, you're outside. I've sat in front of computers for work and um, I, I think it's, um, I think it's bad for your constitution ultimately. So yeah, I like being outside. Making, making records. I mean, being on the, on the label side of it, being on the pressing side of it. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're a band that you're quite prolific, um, but maybe that's the amount of time that you've been a band. How long before you, you know, a record release will you start working on that particular record, do you think, on average? And how much time is that going to take out from your, you know, how much does that change your normality when you're writing a record? We've had records. We've started working on the next record before the one we've just finished has even been put out yet. So that's just, it's just because sometimes we just work quite quickly or in recent times is because we've had quite a a bit of a, a lineup change. So on the last record, Four Bibles, it was it started off as one lineup, and as we were finishing that record, it was a completely different lineup, and we'd done loads of gigs with the new with the new new Will and Chris, a new guitarist, um, who added all their parts to the last record. And whilst it just felt right to continue, sort of that record's done, let's start another one while we're in let's book a studio and start something new before the record even sort of gone to press. You know, so it just it just felt right. But then, you know, we might have a, a break in next. You just don't know. It just if it feels right, we'll sit in a studio and, and and knock something out, see what happens. You know. And those lineup changes, I find interesting because I think you know a lot of bands when they're when they're younger, you know, you might have the same four or five people, and then when one person leaves, it can often feel like the end of the world or something. You know. Um, obviously, <laughs> that's not that's not the case with you. But how did you how do you kind of navigate through that? When we were first started in, so we started 2003, when um, uh, the first person said he was leaving, which was, I think, maybe Ian or maybe Tim, the drummer, but I can't remember. I think probably Ian. Maybe they both went at the same time, whatever. That was quite crushing at the time because you you did sort of, well, I certainly thought, thought, how's this going to carry on then? But Mm. um, we very personal connection being in a band. It, it, well, yeah, it, 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 and and because that was the original lineup, and you and I, you know, you come from a world of listening to sort of bands from like I don't know, like certain like punk rock bands always do that splitting up as soon as someone leaves thing. So it kind of it's in your blood mm. that that's the way it should be done. But then as soon as um, Ian and Tim left, and we replaced them with uh, Reese and. Um, whoever else came in at the time and then left again quickly. I think it might have been Dave. I can't remember. Some people came and went or whatever. And you you sort of realize actually like this can be a fluid thing. Like this can work. And and each time someone comes in, things change and and that's really healthy. Like if you think of a band like the fall or Melvin's, like you can, you can pinpoint moments in those bands where they were like totally like, firing on all cylinders and imp- they would improve immediately when melvin's released that senile animal album like that was such a jump up like you know right. the big, big, first big business one yeah 
the double drummer, and like it's like crap. That band have been going for twenty odd years, and they've just released (laughs) arguably their best record. Has that got something to do? Because I think in like you know rock journalism, there is this kind of rhetoric that look at this new thing. You know, it's all about this new, new, new. It's shoving down your throat all the time, especially especially in this country. So that's a lovely antidote. Yeah, it it really is. In this country, it's like that. I think um, you think about the Fall towards the end of the Fall's career, they were releasing some of their best records. I think history will show it. People still like might say their first records are the best, or the you know the mid eighties ones are the best. But those last few records they released are really, really excellent. You know, they're not like lame ducks at all. They're you know they're good. You know, and does I mean that must that must sort of light a fire in in your asses a little bit, knowing that like yeah fucking hell you, you can still write a raid you can write a, some of your best stuff in the future. Yeah, yeah. That must be a nice idea. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure we think about that, but uh, no, I, th- I think um, I think um, we just have changed. Uh, I think like early on we we're one sort of thing, and you still get people moaning now if you release a record that doesn't like crush for ten minutes <laughs> solid. You'll still get people going. Hasn't got anyone screaming on it? What's going yeah. on? This record's rubbish. It's you like, still oh, get it now, and like. Oh, Stream anymore. That's why we got Paul in. You the put band. that like Lanigan song up. The, the song, the, the mirror went up, and there's a comment on there. There's, <laughs> there's, you know, there's a lot of positive comments, but there's one really negative comment on that YouTube like thing, <laughs> and it's from like someone who's just been, in his eyes, watching us plummet <laughs> like slowly, <laughs> like musically, <laughs> and like you know, who I've possibly done like. <sighs> the best record we've ever yeah, done just, in our eyes and then it's like he's gone this is yeah. shit <laughs> <laughs> oh thanks yeah. and like, <laughs> so you know you've got to please yourself haven't you not them <laughs> and playing playing Glastonbury I mean I, that certainly you know widened my eyes I was like that's fucking incredible news yeah the laugh on it yeah it was good times I um yeah like I worked over that weekend like it's local to me and I worked over that weekend it was really fun but um I, I, I like I really like working um during the Glastonbury week because it just gets so busy around here it's quite exciting but the um the guy that booked the stage he said that um because I think like Amel and the Sniffers were on like either After Us or Bit After Us. And there was, what was that band that's popular? Black Midi were on before us and, and all this sort of business. But the bloke who booked the whole stage said that we were the only band he spoke to directly. Everyone else was through agents. But for whatever reason, he got in touch with us directly. So, And so do you look after the, the bookings? Yourself, Joe? Um, it's like 50-50. But there's a, guy, there's a guy that we've got that helps us in Europe. Um, and, um, between us, we sort of do the UK. Um, sometimes I book him or sometimes he does. It depends. Um, but yeah, this one, he got, he, this guy emailed me. Um, Brilliant. so I was like, Brilliant. that sounds like a good idea. We'll have a bit of that. So over, over this year, are, what ideas have, have you been talking about ways that you can kind of, you know, not just sort, sort of like promote the record, but, you know, do something to please yourselves. Well, putting a record out before we can actually do any gigs is something to keep us sane, I think, because we'd finished the record quite a while back and we were sitting on it and we weren't sure. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Joe. We were going to put it out next year. Is that right? Early next yeah, year. Yeah, there was there was um, a couple of labels who were interested. Alter wanted to do it, but um, their schedule was all tied up. So it couldn't come out till like March or something like that. 
And there was another yeah, label so- that were interested, but they ended up furloughing everyone and it all went wrong for them. So, yeah, we just wanted to get it out. So um, I thought, let's do it as- ourselves. Mm. So that's what we did. Is that a bigger press than you'd usually be doing on your label? A bigger run? Yeah, well, the label's new. I, I set it up really just to just to press like 100 copies of records that I wanted to own one of. So um, I did like a bass clef album, which is kind of a ravey thing. Acid Liner, which is like a, uh, I want to say ambient techno's too lazy, but it's it's kind of Stranger Thingsy soundtrack, real nice. Did a Reigns album, just all 100 presses, just because I wanted a copy. And then... But then, but then it got to then when we were talking about the Colossus album, it wasn't it wasn't going to come out on that label. But but we just wanted it. We just wanted to release it. it. We just sat on it for so long. I don't know. It was just frustrating. So yes, it is a way bigger press, and I had to up the press as well because I completely underestimated how many it would um, do. So I had to get in touch with the pressing plant and get them to press more. And so I was learning basically way back when we were talking half an hour ago about making mistakes <laughs> that was a mistake i didn't press enough so it ended up costing me more to sort of up the press than it would have if i'd have just said press x amount in the first place you're always still learning oh yeah because also because it's changing so quickly you're always just still learning so like you never <laughs> when you think you're on top of it oh, yeah. dropped a I, I think i underestimated how much people uh first of all like buying records but also currently i think are possibly buying more records because maybe they got more disposable income because they're not going out so much i don't know for sure one of our friends that works at a record shop was like yeah they're friday nights are dinging you know they're yeah. lighting up yeah exactly I, yeah i've got someone who works a friend um jimmy from um t for the c works at flashback in on on um Essex Road in London, and he said it's been crazy busy the whole way through. And when you're releasing yeah. records, have you have you had like a, a publicity person? How far into that sort of world do you get? Um, no, um, um, not for the first load, um, and not for the Colossus one in the UK. So I've done the radio for it and the press for it in the UK. But what I've always wanted with our records in the past is to have a European PR person because um, we've never had one. And I don't really have any many contacts out there. So I did get a European PR person this time because we go to Europe so much, I thought it would be nice just to experiment. So I, I um, got hold of someone. I bartered him down from an enormous amount that he wanted to a reasonably not much amount. And um, he seems really nice. So that I have dipped my toe into it in that regard. And those those things are are expensive those sides of like professional industry kind of thing. What's your sort of general consensus? Is that something that you all talk about or is, does that come on come on you Joe? Oh, in this case it was on me because it was it's technically I guess my label. You know. I say that we're releasing it because we are and it's the you know the band's label or whatever but I guess I started it, so it's all my fault. Yeah, so when it goes when it goes wrong, <laughs> it's me. It's me that's losing the house. Now. <laughs> You're not set up as a limited company, then you don't lose anything. <laughs> well, no. thank you so much for for both chatting to me. I, I appreciate it. It's cool that you've been doing it for so long. You know, something that I love that I've been involved in for maybe 10, 15 years. You have for you know double that nearly. Is there anything that you're really kind of looking to? Like, is there any like milestones that you're looking towards? 
I've I've always wanted to play in New York, and I don't think it'll ever happen. I can't believe you haven't already. Never been, never been, been asked a few times. Been had, had had some offers here and there, but um, to do it off our own back would be crazy. And um, I, I, just, I don't know. I, I I fancy it one day, but I just don't. I, to be honest, I don't see it ever happening. Like the visa issue is the real is the real uh, kick in the teeth. Yeah. It really is. If you've got responsibilities at home, it makes the sort of the sneaking in quote unquote thing not. It's not cool. Uh, there's um exactly there's a friends band um who I won't say on here. <laughs> they can't go there um because one of them got caught doing it, right. so he can't ever go back to that country. She's not worth it, is it? Uh, arguably not. But that's not the way we want to do it. I, I, you know, I want to tell people we're doing it. Yeah. You know, I don't want it to be a secret. I want it to. I want it to be. But you know, but then if you speak to any like American band, certainly at our sort of level, they're all like, "Don't bother, don't bother coming to America." Like touring Europe is way better. We we said this. We said exactly the same thing though to that Ultra Phallus lot when they were coming to tour in England, and we said, "Don't bother, it's shit. <laughs> you will lose loads of money." And the yeah. and they they had the time of their lives. And they did have a good time, and yeah. we probably you know. But uh, yeah, so American bands say don't bother touring in America. UK bands say don't bother touring in the UK. French bands probably say don't bother touring in France. Everyone's just bored of their own place. I've got. Have you played in Paris? Because they've got the um, the sound limiter. They have for a few years. That's yeah, not, we've that's never affected us so sound wise. I don't think we've always played normal volume. I think. Yeah, there's been some some moments, but the, the, um, yeah, we've played Paris quite a few times, and it's been okay. I think for the most part. Actually, I tell you, last time we played there, we missed the sound check, so we possibly dodged that by just getting on stage with our equipment and setting up and playing, and they couldn't stop us because we were halfway for a set. Yeah, to be fair, we turned up at four o'clock that day. Four o'clock in the afternoon, they yeah. said with Mr. Soundcheck. <laughs> but on the plus side, we went to the local record shop instead. Oh, born bad. Really yeah, good. Really, really excellent good. record shop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Really yeah. good shop. Yeah. Well, Bob and Joe, thank you so much. And looking forward to the record coming out. Cheers, Joel. I mean, that's, a, that's just exciting times. So what, what, a, what a thing to focus on right now to take you out of it. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. It's a cracker. So yeah, we're we're all, all every single one of us is absolutely chuffed with how it's turned out as well. So amazing. Yeah, really. really uh, and especially as I spent twenty years saying that um, <laughs> people shouldn't release double vinyl, double albums, and all, all double <laughs> albums would be better if you trimmed a few songs off. And we've gone and released a record that's seventy-five minutes long, just to screw with past Joe. That's an afternoon. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant oh well thank you so much and um let you go for for joe gets mad in the evening yeah uh, yeah <laughs> so that was bob and joe from hey colossus i hope you enjoyed that chat if you do please rate review and subscribe it wherever you're listening to this podcast and please share on twitter or instagram or whatever the podcast is on all those platforms you can tag it if you really wish and i think that's everything project mobilization out Cheers, his Cox Barrow. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. Every bleeding minute I've been on the go. Up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate.
This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.